Before we get into the episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded, the lands of the people of the Yugambe language region and Darawal country. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal. Welcome to the Afterbirth Podcast. I'm Jazz. And I'm Liv, and we're your hosts. The Afterbirth Podcast was created to be a space for you to share your postpartum story in your own words and listen to others share their experiences. In this show, we'll be talking bleeding, feeding, late night Google reading, and so much more. Each episode, we'll delve into all of the weird and wonderful parts of the postpartum experience with real parents and experts. We hope these stories help you to feel empowered, educated and prepared on your own postpartum journey or just help you to feel more connected to others whose stories might resonate with your own. Now let's get into today's show. Hi everyone, welcome to our final guest interview for the first season. (laughs) And today we have with us a third host, Charlie Livson. (laughs) Sorry guys, he's just going to be chatting away in the background to the intro. (laughs) so yes today is our final interview um episode for the season and then next week we will be closing up the season with a very special episode with just the two of us recapping yeah our first season um it's so exciting we are finishing up our first season I can't believe it I can't believe that yeah we have recorded a full season and we wanted originally to do 10 episodes for season one and once we have recorded our final episode of just us that will be 10 episodes I know it's crazy and we have been tracking our listens and tracking our followers and it's been so amazing to watch it all climb like we're over a thousand listens now which is amazing I definitely had a margarita to celebrate (laughs) yeah I had a big glass of wine yeah so yeah thank you to all our listeners we um I I think I can speak for both of us and say that we didn't expect this we you know just two everyday mums with no big followings we we honestly just thought we'd give it a go and the response that we've received has been amazing it has been thank you all so much and we will um in our episode next week we'll have a little bit more of a chat about yeah how we feel about um the response that we've had so yeah um last week's episode was so fun and we have had a really good response from you guys about that and actually Cleo my wife said that it was her favorite episode that we've done so far and I think she actually took a lot from it and we've had some really cool conversations about intrusive thoughts and I found out that she has struggled with that as well, which is super interesting from a non-birth parent. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's opened up some conversations in our house as well, which is very cool. That's really interesting. I think that um, something that's been on my mind is actually maybe one day we can bring a partner on and talk to them about those things because, yeah, we get those intrusive thoughts, but to hear that a partner also gets them as well is is really interesting so we um Dean loved the episode as well he finally listened to it yesterday I think because I pre-warned him there's a bit of um boyfriend bashing in there (laughs) he held off a little bit but he loved it he um thought it was really funny and 
yeah, I've listened to it twice. It's It makes me laugh every time. So, yeah, great episode. <laughs> yes, and Cleo also thought it was really interesting that there's a whole lot of other mums that also message their partners and say, when are you coming home from work? You said you came home five minutes ago. It's not just me. I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, we all st- we all stand at the window waiting. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, uh, so this week's episode, we've had a little bit of a build-up to this one, which has been cool because um, we have spoken about it a few times on our Instagram stories. So in this week's episode, we talked to Amanda and Amanda is a naturopath and she had her first baby six months ago and we talked to her about her own postpartum journey, but also how her journey has affected her work and or impacted her work. And um, yeah, it's a really cool one. And I took a lot out of this chat and I have actually booked a appointment with Amanda for myself for next month so I'm super excited to yeah and I'll update you guys about that through our socials as well once that's happened that's amazing it's amazing to hear you putting your health first <laughs> it can Not be hard to do it comes naturally to so many of us but another thing that I thought was really cool about this episode which you guys will hear is Jazz actually has a fair amount of knowledge about some of the the more sort of herbal um, remedies for common postpartum concerns. And yeah, like I said, it was a good learning experience for me. I'm not quite ready to give up my morning coffee just yet, but I have been looking into ceremonial cacao as something that I maybe will mix into the routine. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I am. I've learned a lot through my friend who's a naturopath. She's taught me a lot and yeah, research. I, I I love the whole natural, you know, medicinal way to take care of yourself. So having this chat with Amanda, it was really cool to understand what she was talking about and to be able to talk back knowing what I was talking about. So yeah, it was a great episode. I learned a lot. Um, Yeah. Really, really enjoyed this episode with Amanda. So cool. Um, we will just pop a little uh, disclaimer on this one. Some of the sound on Amanda's end is a little bit tricky to uh, understand and that's yeah, an audio recording um, error. But if you guys have any questions or want to clarify anything, please feel free to message us or message Amanda um, and ask any questions about that. And also for this week, Keep an eye on our Instagram page, especially on Sunday. Sorry, Charlie's going to do the announcement for me. Um, Keep an eye on our Instagram page this weekend because we have something really exciting coming on Sunday. Yes, it's um, very, very excited. It's going to be very, very special. Um, So for all the mums or soon-to-be mums out there, keep an eye out. Um, Yeah, we're really excited about this. All right, let's get into the episode. Let's get into it. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Would you be able to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and where you're from, what you do? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Liv. Thanks for having me. Um, It's really nice to be able to come and chat to you ladies about this topic, which I think is very close to everybody's heart right now. Um, but yeah, so my name's Amanda. I'm a naturopath. Um, I currently work on the um, in the Northern Rivers. I'm just 
getting back into practice after having my little bub. And um, previous to that, I've been on the Gold Coast. And originally, I'm from the UK, as you can tell by my rich accent. So if there's anything that you can't understand me saying today, please tell me and I'm happy to repeat myself because <laughs> it's not going anywhere, guys. I'm sorry. It's just you to say. <laughs> it's a nice accent. <laughs> yeah, I really like your accent. It's very easy to listen to. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> All right. So Amanda, you recently had your first baby. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I did. So um, yeah, I had my baby in October last year. And um, it was great, like in the sense of changing my practice. And yeah, we can definitely have a chat about that as well. But I think it's just been so important to experience this firsthand to um I guess, see what mums are really going through and, you know, really experience that. But um, yeah, the, the whole process has been beautiful. I mean, it is life-changing, right? You know, it's one of those things that you can't say to people, oh, you need to do it, but you kind of like, you need to do it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> There's just so much love that you get from it. It's such an amazing experience. And the birth was wild. So we ended up actually having a home birth, but not intentionally. Um, and I guess I pre-birthed as well because I was by myself and my partner was here and there was nobody else here. But I had a very quick labor um, and we didn't make it into hospital in time. So the midwife advised us to call an ambulance. Ambulance came and um, Bub popped out before the ambulance arrived. So that wow. was fun and um, intense but a very kind of um yeah very vigorous start to um that, that journey I think <laughs> and then we were in hospital for probably about five days because Bob had a few health issues um the next day so we went about 24 hours all good um but then his oxygen levels really started to drop so I think it was because of the quick labor because we had such a quick labor, um, we didn't get that squeezing through the canal where a lot of the fluid can get expelled from the lungs. So um, yeah, unfortunately he had, we had to get separated and he ended up being in the um, nursery at Lismore where he received such beautiful care. It was really, really nice to be there, to be honest, especially for our first because the midwives were so amazing. And we really did receive beautiful, beautiful care there. That's really um, lovely to hear because we've, um, yeah, we've spoken to a few mums lately that have been in NICU and special care and they've all explained that it's not the, the best environment for a mum healing after birth and and like the the staff and everything have been amazing, but in terms in, of environmental, um, yeah, it's been quite hard for them. So it's really, it's really lovely to to hear that about the special care, you know, up there. Yeah, no, it is. It is it's been wonderful. And you're right, the environment, it is weird because it's very clinical and, you know, mask, everyone's masked and um, hand sanitizing 24-7. And it's it's not the best environment that you want for your bub coming in, into the world. Um, but I, any advice I would give to mums is just be prepared and have a bit of a, um, you know, a, a feng shui bag. <laughs> so we took fairy lights. We took a salt lamp, we took um, 
we took a speaker and we had like jazz music playing in our room and things like that just to make it better for us as well because we knew if we were feeling like soaking that environment in and if we were feeling real stress then he would pick up on that as well and um, when we did get to connect with him so we really wanted to be super relaxed and super um in you know in that parasympathetic dominant state when we were spending time with him that's really um a really important point that you just made and I think um for a first time for first time parents probably quite rare to to have that presence of mind to to know to sort of prepare for that um I'm curious because you had such a quick labor and birth did that do you feel like that affected your bonding at all with Bub? Or do you think that because you were sort of so prepared, you know, in those sort of initial days, that maybe helped ease that transition a little bit? Um, that's a good question. I think it was a bit of a shock um, in a way, but and you know, my, so my um my mum had a really quick birth with both me and my sister, and he she had really positive birth stories with both of us. And we I'd, I'd kind of grown up with this beautiful like saying in our family. We have a saying. So my maiden name is Mo, and there's a saying in the family that we all have these Mo hips for birthing which is kind of a bit of a joke, but whenever anyone would put on weight or get a bit fat, everyone would just be like, oh, it's the more hips for birthing. And so we've always had this kind of joke, which has been really positive about birth and, you know, that everyone's kind of had these quick labors. And I honestly think that mindset and that um, programming from such a young age has always made me think that birth was quite an exciting and, and, I know I don't know like almost quick because everybody else had had quick births in the family so in a way I anticipated that it would be like that hoped it would be like that um, and it's strange that it was like that so I do wonder if there is some kind of you know epigenetic programming that we somehow um, put into ourselves from such a young age around birth because I did do a birth course as well and there was so much um so many women there who had really negative stories all through their lives and were really anxious and scared around birth. Um, so I do wonder, I do wonder about that. But I do think maybe it did, um, in hindsight, affect that initial phase because it was so quick. It was so, I mean, you know what it's like, the adrenaline anyway, and then the come down after that and then being separated with him after that period was such a um was such a trigger of emotions and you're already a big ball of emotions for those first few days anyway so um yeah it was definitely a shock the the first few days how much the the roller coaster of emotions kind of went through me yeah and i guess like because you birthed at home you were in your safe space and you you knew that space whereas then you had to go into hospital so there's also you're adding in that turbulence of being home and then going to the hospital and then coming back home as opposed to having your baby at the hospital, staying in the hospital and then coming home. So that would have been quite turbulent as well for you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It was. 
And because the hospital stay was so unexpected, obviously everybody knows they're going into hospital, but nobody knows how long you might be there for. Um, and we didn't anticipate that we would end up being there. So we were there for about five days afterwards. And so that was a shock as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, the care that we did receive made that transition a little bit easier, but then we were ready to come home at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and how was your um, transition into feeding? Did you have a lot of assistance while you were there learning how to latch and learning how to feed? Or is that something you establish when you got home? How did you find your feeding journey? Yeah, the feeding journey was up and down as well. Um, I, I, luckily, my milk didn't milk supply didn't get disrupted too much with that separation, which I was so lucky that that happened again. Um, because I know that that for some women can be the end of their breastfeeding journey. So, um, I feel really grateful that I still had the opportunity to breastfeed even though we were separated. And mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of milk supply, and I think that was helpful because I was pumping a lot at the hospital, and the midwives were great for helping me learn how to pump because I'd never obviously done anything like that before. Um, and that was really a really good support system that we had there in the hospital and particularly in the nursery itself. And um, the midwives that helped with the breastfeeding, um, it, was, it was tricky in a way because there were so many different midwives on shift. You would get different advice depending on, you know, who, who was on shift and I mean, you don't know what time it is or what day it is or anything during those, you know, those first few days. And it was quite tricky receiving all that different advice and then trying to navigate that and process it and then make a decision myself on what I thought the best thing to do would be. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a, I think because of the, the good milk supply, it was a, an easy transition. He seemed to latch pretty good. Um, the challenges I have did have around feeding postpartum up to date has actually was actually probably about um, five or six weeks after birth. So again, you would think by then feeding's been established, you've kind of got this down pat and you know what's going on. But um, we had a lot of visitors around that time and my stress levels had definitely increased. And I kind of felt like I was being out of that initial postpartum phase in a way where everyone's you know taking care of you and you're in this lovely bubble and then I kind of um you know hubby's gone back to work it just all felt a bit um new and strange then and adding the stress of lots of visitors and getting back into the throes of normal day life I noticed a big drop in my milk supply then um and that was quite stressful because we know the effect our mind has on breast milk supply anyway it's crazy how much that plays into it and so any you know negative talk that I might have in my head I found would really change my milk supply so trying to become very aware of that and doing a lot of relaxation activity and breath work really helped bring my milk supply up a little bit then as well um yeah do you think that being a naturopath, was there anything from your work that you brought in at that point or at any point sort of during the initial postpartum phase that you feel really helped 
support a positive experience? Yeah, I mean, with regards to feeding or just the feeding general and, and, and just your own general well-being, I guess. Yeah, I think it definitely helped me. I honestly am so glad that I studied naturopathy before giving birth because the tools that you have as a naturopath are fantastic for that postpartum period because a lot of it is around lifestyle. A lot of it is around what we're eating. Um, I have supplemented my way through motherhood. I literally say that to all of my, all of my friends and my patients. Um, I, I like to take supplements. I don't shy away from them. But yeah, I really have. If I didn't have them and if I didn't know what to be taken when, then I think I would have felt the postpartum period a lot more. Yeah, it definitely mm. does. Now, Amanda, I started following you through my personal Instagram account because you I think saw the same women's health physio that I saw and they shared a story of yours about your diagnosis of uh, a a pelvic floor organ prolapse. Hmm. Are you able to talk to us and our listeners a little bit about that uh, the process of getting diagnosed and what that all sort of looked and felt like for you? Yeah, of course. That's a great, um, a great area to touch upon because it is so, um, it's so taboo still. Which in twenty twenty three, like what? Right. <laughs> Why is this so taboo? This topic. Yes. Even me sharing it on my Instagram, I was so nervous, and so many people reached out to me and were like, "I'm so glad you're talking about this because nobody else is talking about it." And I had the exact same thing happen to me. Yeah. And. I don't think we're aware enough of the risk factors and some of the risk factors are really really um you know like not expected I always thought oh gosh it must mean something crazy has happened but you know just simple things like having a vaginal birth is a risk factor (laughs) the hormone drop after birth that estrogen drop that estrogen keeps everything nice in place keeps all our um, pelvic organs in place that drop if it's you know too harsh that can be a risk factor the quick labor that I had as a risk factor. And then of course, doing too much too soon, which is what I talked about a lot on um, my, my own Instagram. And yeah, so my, my prolapse journey was, it was a bit to navigate. So I got hospitalized over the Christmas period and we were up on the Gold Coast spending Christmas with the family. And I had a really big bleed, which was just a bit of a shock, especially I was, three months postpartum by then so didn't expect anything like that to happen and I kind of had a look down there I was like what's going on <laughs> and seeing that there was a prolapse so I went into hospital the hospital experience wasn't the best then to be honest so um it went from uh, you, we need surgery there's you know they thought there was afterbirth still in there and they were prepping me for surgery it all kind of got a bit scary very quickly and then they ran some other tests and said actually no we got that wrong we don't need to do any of that and you can go home and I was kind of like oh so what do I do about this prolapse and it was like oh it's normal and I was like oh okay wonderful <laughs> so um, I went home and um, yeah started researching it myself I was seeing, yeah, Sarah at Female Physio Co, who their team is so, so supportive. So I went in to see her. Luckily, I got in like 
two days after I'd been into hospital because um, she was open and it was the beginning of the year. So I think it was their first week back, maybe a bit quiet after Christmas. And um, yeah, so I'd had a stage two at birth, which a lot of people have and don't actually feel the symptoms for, which I know you talked a bit about that as well, Liz. Um, so you might not know the symptoms. You might not have any symptoms and not know that you've actually had a prolapse. Um, but it had progressed to stage four. So it was pretty heavy by then. Um, the Mine was a bladder. So the bladder was um, pushing into the vaginal wall, which is then causing everything to fall down. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's awful because you've just got this feeling constantly as if, you know, everything's about to fall out. Yeah. It's a dragging feeling. You can't get comfortable. Um, yeah, it's not the nicest experience. And there's a lot that can be done to help it. And um, that was, when was that? January. So we're in April now and I don't get any symptoms now. So in four months, I've managed to clear the, the whole thing up, which has been fantastic. That's so great to hear. And I think, um, like, I remember when I was diagnosed um, after my first um, with a stage two bladder prolapse. I remember feeling like my whole world had just come crashing down and like this was the rest of my life. Like I remember reading all of this stuff about how I would never be able to run again or um, like that you can't actually fix a prolapse that maybe you might be symptom free, but you'll still have it. And it just seemed so overwhelming to me. And I also remember feeling very alone because like you said, Amanda, people don't talk about it. It is so taboo. And not only that, but there are so many women who have pelvic organ organ prolapse and don't actually realize that they have it because they don't have the symptoms so to hear that you are four months down the track from from diagnosis to now and that you are doing so well I think that a lot of our listeners will find that very inspiring and yeah I know you talked on your on your Instagram page because you were very open about your journey you talked about some of the uh herbs and and things like that that you use to sort of support your journey are you able to talk to us a little bit about that yeah of course because they're actually super helpful um so I guess herbs aside one thing I did want to touch on first as well is um I actually got my cycle back really quickly so I got my um cycle back on four months after um after birth yeah well yeah I know right I was so devastated (laughs) like what is this myth that someone so long (laughs) yeah yeah especially breastfeeding I thought I might get a a bit longer but yeah it came back really quick and that in itself can actually drastically improve a prolapse so um one reason to be excited about getting your cycle back after birth is if you do have a prolapse, it will really help with that because the rise in estrogen that we're getting again during the cycle um, really helps pull everything up back up into its normal position. Um, and then the progesterone kind of at the second end of the cycle is when you might start to see 
symptoms again. But you're probably going to get at least two weeks of the month symptom-free just from having built those high estrogen surges again. Um, so that in itself is one really good way to um, that the body will naturally deal with a prolapse. Um, but when it comes to herbs, so there's a couple of herbs. One your listeners will definitely know and have probably taken anyway, and that's raspberry leaf. So raspberry leaf, we get told is awesome for birth. It is such a fantastic birth aid. It really helps the uterus regulate that muscle contraction. So it's even really good to, to sit through labor. You know, you can make a big pot of it. And if you want cold drinks, you can make it ahead, stick it in the fridge, put it in a big water bottle and then sip on it through labor. Um, but it's definitely from trimester two, I would advise everyone to be drinking it because it just helps with that regulation. And then postpartum, keep drinking it because it really helps with um, everything moving back into place. So if you do have a prolapse, again, keep drinking the raspberry tea, or you can see a naturopath and get a tincture if you need a stronger dose, which the tinctures are great for. Mm. Um, another really good one, which I talked about on Instagram is the Gotti Cola. So Gotti Cola is collagen building. And it's such a beautiful herb. We kind of call it the herbal Botox in um, the tropics because it's so collagen building. And obviously collagen is not just for our wrinkles. It's for all those ligaments and, and organs as well. So got to call as a really beautiful one that just helps build the collagen to keep everything fixed in its location. Um, and then Bupurin is another one which I was taking. So bupurin is actually a liver herb and it's not for everyone because it's quite a strong herb and we don't want to be stimulating the liver too much postpartum because if, especially if you're breastfeeding, you don't want to be detoxifying while you're breastfeeding okay. and you don't want any toxins to be coming through in the milk. So we tend to steer away from it, but on a case-by-case -case basis, again, if you are going to use something like the Purim, I would definitely see a herbalist or a naturopath to see if that's the right one for you. And um, But it can be fantastic for cervical prolapse. And I use that in my case and it's been quite helpful. Yeah, cool. So we've talked a little bit about your work. I'd love mm -hmm. to hear how you just... What sort of things do postpartum women come to you most for? Like what sort of concerns do you see most and, and how do you help with those, I guess? Yeah, great question. So a naturopath can help a lot in your postpartum journey. Um, it's very rare, to be honest, that we just see people postpartum because normally I'm getting patients coming to me if they can't conceive or are having issues with conception or if they're wanting to um, promote a, a better birth, a, a healthier birth. So we tend to see people earlier on in the journey, but I have had a few people come just purely for depletion postpartum. And that's probably the number one thing that I would see people for. Um, postpartum depletion is crazy. And I guess trying to navigate that as well as having a baby, taking care of yourself normally becomes lower down on the priority list. And it's really important for women to just have a few tools in the toolbox. So, you know, those nights when you've had no sleep <laughs> and you have to get up, you don't have a choice. You've got a baby to care for, you've got kids to care for. So it's just about 
being able to utilize a few tools that are really going to help you get through the day and not have it affect things like your milk supply or um, your energy levels or even just your presence with your baby, being able to, you know, maintain good energy levels for that. Um, so, yeah, it's such a it's such a time of depletion, birth generally. And I say depletion as in we're tired, but also things like blood loss. So seeing um, low iron is also another big thing that we get postpartum. And if people's iron levels have dropped, particularly if they've had things like hemorrhages during the birth, or if they had low iron going into pregnancy, that's always an issue postpartum because if you're breastfeeding, you actually need more iron during those first few months um, just to keep up with what bud needs in the milk. Um, and iron's a tricky one for women because it seems to be, you know, one of the our number one health concerns is being iron deficient. It's very common mm. among the, the girls. And what else do we help with? So sleep is another really big thing, the lack of sleep and just being able to support women through that. Um, you know, there's not much you can do on a day when you've had two hours sleep. And if you're regularly getting that or if two hours sleep is a good night for you, then we need to be able to support you, support your energy levels through the day. Because when sleep isn't available as a tool, you need to know what else to be able to use. So just using things, you know, getting education around basic sleep hygiene um, and utilizing supplements that can help support your energy levels through the day. I always try and wean mums off coffee and I know it's a controversial area because we all love our coffee and it's not only is it delicious but it does have a lot of benefits but postpartum it can just really interfere with those energy levels and if you're breastfeeding as well you know the bub is also getting exposed to caffeine which can make them more wakeful which can make your journey more difficult it's kind of like a bit of a um chicken and the egg cycle mm. unfortunately yeah I've never Fine. thought of it that way actually that's very interesting mm. I actually yeah. had to um replace my I ended up replacing my coffee with um reishi and jing they were really like I made sure it was breastfeeding safe and everything and um that really helped me as well and I used to put magnesium in it as well um I found that really yeah magnesium ceremonial cacao I'd have that every now and again small Mm. dosages um but yeah that they were great for replacing coffee for me personally um yeah that's a great one I love anything Mm. replace my coffee (laughs) (laughs) I'm a shocker Uh, I know how bad it is for me and I just (laughs) bounce off the walls afterwards and I'm so caffeine sensitive but I, are you yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. interesting maybe you've got that gene um gene sniff so cyp1a2 genotype it kind of determines whether you're a slow metabolizer or a fast metabolizer oh. um, I'm the same I'm super sensitive to it, it yeah makes me anxious and jittery yeah. and I lose focus yeah, I can't have a coffee after I've figured out my cutoffs. So if I'm on a night shift, I can't have a coffee after 11 p.m. because I know that I won't sleep the next day. Mm-hmm. And if I'm on day shifts, I can't have a coffee after 11 a.m. because I won't sleep that night. <laughs> so 11 At is least my... you got it. You've got your boundaries set. <laughs> yeah, what a trial and error. 
match is a really nice one I always try and get women on that because it's so um restorative as well it's got the l-theanine which you know has beautiful anti-anxiety properties as well as help keeping our minds clear so I don't know how you go with matcha if it's something that you like but there's some really beautiful blends which have got stuff like coconut milk and some of the herbs and mushrooms added in that you can buy off the shelf and ice ones they're delicious in the summer Mm. well that Mm. sounds good I definitely um will give them a go um for women who don't or who don't have access to for whatever reason to a naturopath Hmm. but are feeling maybe depleted in their postpartum phase what sort of things would you recommend that they get their GP to check for in their bloods yeah great question so iron is definitely number one um iron levels will drop postpartum as well if you haven't had good iron going into pregnancy you definitely won't have good iron post birth so we really want um to make sure that where your iron levels are at because you don't want to just supplement with iron it's actually a really tricky supplement to navigate because it can be quite destructive in the body too if you have too much of it so yeah making sure you're getting your iron levels checked um particularly ferritin is what you want to see. So that's your stored levels. But you also want to be looking at your full blood blood, blood count, an FBC test. And so that test will not only um, give you an indication of, um, of your iron, but it also gives you an indication of what else is going on with the blood. So, you know, it can kind of see if your um, what size your blood cells are, your red blood cells, and how heavy they are and that can also give us indicators of where your iron stores are at but yeah iron iron levels definitely and um, the full blood count thyroid is another one and um, particularly if you've had undiagnosed thyroid conditions before being pregnant um, if you're really really suffering with fatigue in this postpartum period then thyroid could be at play here particularly an underactive thyroid. Um, it's hard, a hard one to say, but you know, if your energy levels are really, really low, where you actually can't stay awake during the day and you know, you're really struggling with that kind of thing, um, particularly as well if you're also feeling really cold um, and if you are having trouble with weight loss, not that we want to focus on weight loss, but if you seem to be putting weight on, um, as, a, as opposed to um, maintaining or losing weight after, after birth, then um, yeah, I would definitely suspect thyroid. And it's a tricky one with a GP because they don't really like doing it mm. because it's quite difficult for them to, they have to give a lot of explanation around why they're doing thyroid tests. It's not always, you know, on the um, easy checklist for them. So um it's always one to ask them about particularly they won't just you know say oh yeah let's check your thyroid it's one to um, definitely suggest and say maybe you know I've said it could be thyroid we've got something we could look at um yeah so they're probably the, the top ones which that's interesting that that wouldn't be something that they sort of would have high on their priorities list because I mean even uh, like I'm 
slightly medical, I guess, but even not having a medical background, I feel like a lot of people are starting to realize the importance of the thyroid and how it affects just about everything. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting that um, that that wouldn't be something that that would be investigated when people are presenting with the the concerns that you just mentioned. Yeah, look, I mean, um, obviously into preventative health. So for me, if everyone got a thyroid check at a six week checkup, that would be the dream. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's not often the case. And some GPs will definitely look into it. And mm. um, if you do have some of the symptoms, but it's not a given. Um, and I know some of the some of my patients, particularly, it's something we have to go in and, you know, chat to them about and make suggestions for. Um, yeah. Yeah, my friend, um, she's a naturopath or well, studying to be a naturopath. And I did a consult with her and she actually had to write me a letter um, to the GP. I haven't used it yet, but she wrote me a letter stating all the different because um, I know there's different um, thyroid like there was a couple listed on there. Um, so she wrote me a letter because she said the same thing. She said, you might go in there and it might be a hassle one and you might actually have to pay pay for it as well because it's not something that they they really like to do, which, yeah, is really interesting because it's something that a lot of women struggle with. I mean, we, we interviewed a, a lady a few weeks back and she's having issues with her thyroid and it can actually lead to cancer. It can lead to some really horrible things. So, yeah, it's really it's surprising it's not just a given to be checked. Mm. Just to touch yeah. on postpartum depletion, I read a really uh, interesting thing the other day that touched a bit of a nerve with me because I was like, oh, I probably should maybe see someone about this. It was that if you are postpartum and you're sort of thinking, oh, I'm exhausted because I'm a new mom, I'm not getting much sleep, it's, you know, it's super normal for me to feel this way. But if you, by whatever luck happen to have a good night's sleep or um have a coffee and you still don't feel refreshed after that it's likely that you are suffering from postpartum depletion rather than just regular lack of sleep exhaustion and yeah it that like I said it did touch a bit of a nerve with me because I sort of thought well my boys aren't really terrible sleepers they're just kids um but I still really struggle with that just real deep fatigue and so I think it's probably something for me that I need to to get investigated but yeah I found that interesting I know for me personally, like I've got my cycle back and everything, but I'm also finding like I'm the same as you live. It's something I need to check on, but also certain types uh, times of my cycle, it's worse. It's even worse. It's usually when I'm ovulating, I notice that that depletion gets even worse. So yeah, it's definitely um, something we should both probably get checked. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Because that mm. should be your, you know, the most energetic period, period of your cycle, that ovulation. Mm. So maybe there's something hormonal going on there as well. Yeah, I've definitely noticed, like I, I have my period and it's like the big release and then I have a week, a week and a half of yeah, energy and all that stuff. But then the egg drops and I just start to feel, I have to warn my partner, the egg's dropping because um, I start to get really yeah tired and angry and that's when the mum rage kicks in. I've really started tracking when mm. that happens. And then when I have my bleed, it's like that big release again. And then you go back into that cycle. 
Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. I, and I have I have heard that from a few mums that they're like after birth, PMDD became quite mm. a, a big thing for them. So yeah, it'd be interesting to get that checked. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Have you heard of cycle thinking before? Mm. I haven't tried it, but I have heard of it. That could be something really beneficial just to start and implement and see if it mm. makes a gentle difference. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, a hormone fall through this absolute rage during pregnancy and birth. Um, and then after birth, if you find that you're struggling to get into that flow again, um, I always suggest cycle thinking as a first and foremost, particularly if you're having trouble getting um, hormone testing done. So cycle thinking is it's just about really tapping into our natural cycle and working with that rather than against it. Mm-hmm. So everything from like our workouts, our business and our creativity um, when to eat what during the month can really change based on what our hormones are doing. And if you drop into what it's naturally doing and going with that flow, so for things like PMDD is a bit different, but PMS particularly is, is typically a lot of low progesterone and high estrogen in that second half of the cycle. So after ovulation, up until the period. And if you are getting that experience where you're waiting for the period to drop, just you can be like, oh, I need to feel normal again. Mm. Definitely be wanting to support your progesterone levels in that last two weeks mm-hmm. um, and helping the estrogen detoxify out the system. So focusing on things like gut health, um, restorative exercise, you don't want to be doing anything that's um, pumping cortisol at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, things like that. And then also just making sure it's a really probably anti-social time. Like you don't have too much in the calendar. So you're not being forced to, you know, socialize when you actually just need to really go inward. I am curious to hear how, so you're recently back practicing after Mm. having your baby. How would you say your practice has changed, if at all, since going through your own postpartum or since you're in your own postpartum? Yeah, it's changed significantly in that I really understand what mums are going through. Mums and dads are going through, you know, it's dads need postpartum care too. But I feel particularly as the um, birth parent, you kind of really receive um, a lot of the work and a lot of the um, challenges. And it's been a real um, eye opener. So when mums are talking to me about fatigue before having my own baby, I couldn't really relate to that level of fatigue because I've never experienced anything like it in my life. And now I'm trying to do this juggle as well of going back to work. And some nights I am getting two hours sleep, you know, and it's about trying to be able to navigate that and it's really helped me empathize a lot more with mums and parents out there. Yeah. 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 It's sort of, um, I know for me, it was sort of similar going back to work after having my first looking after babies and then going back, having my own baby, it was a really different perspective and being able to empathize them with them from a place of, just complete understanding uh, of, yeah, I guess that push and pull of being a parent. 
Yeah. And I just think, you know, before I had a baby, I was just like, how did parents turn up to work on time? (laughs) And now I'm like, hallelujah. You know, I made it to my sessions with my patients. Yeah. Yeah, it really is a different world once you've kind of experienced it. Yeah, the bar's lowered a little bit. Hey, it's like, (laughs) yes, I made it here. Not not I'm doing a great job. It's just I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) Although I'm sure you are doing a great job. Um, Amanda posted something very cool on her Instagram recently and Jazz and I were talking before we started recording about how relevant it is to our experiences so Jazz would you like to speak to that yes so I saw a post on your Instagram before when I was having a look about um, a perfect plate for a postpartum mum of snacks and I know for me and Liv, we were both saying that some days I would just snack on smush balls and for Liv, it was two chocolate chip cookies. So obviously not enough to sustain someone who's breastfeeding or someone who's depleted. Um, so I guess I just wanted to ask, what is your ideal snack plate for a postpartum mum or a postpartum mum who's breastfeeding? Yeah, really great question. And this is one area that if you can nail this, Honestly, it will help your postpartum experience so, so much because nutrition counts for so much of our energy. And when you are sleep deprived, your blood sugars are all over the place anyway because you haven't got that sleep. And it really affects that blood sugar cycle because cortisol and melatonin are our sleep and awake hormones. And they also play into, well, cortisol particularly plays into our blood sugars. So if you can manage to navigate your nutrition to have stable blood sugars throughout the day, it'll really help support your energy levels. And it's one area that I really focus on with treatment postpartum is just making sure you've got stable blood sugars. Um, And it's about having snacks because let's face it, you don't have time to sit down and make a meal. Like I even prepped a heap of meals and put them in the freezer And I was like, how do I even get time to defrost it and heat it up? Like even doing that was a challenge some days. So it's about having stuff on hand. And so I found by making these snack plates, I could kind of leave it on the bench. And then if I got swept away and ended up, you know, snowballing into an hour, an hour and a half later coming back to it, I was able to just pick at it. And so focusing on protein is probably the biggest thing. And that goes for snacks as well. So whether it's things like protein bowls or I love hummus. Hummus is such a nice, you know, high protein snack that we can have with veggie sticks or because we want to focus more on warm food postpartum, I'd be looking at maybe slightly steaming things. So maybe even just slightly steaming things like broccoli and um, or having it pre-blanched or pre-steamed in the fridge so you can just pull them out and dip them into some hummus. Um, and things like tempeh and tofu are really good to dip into it as well. And um, if you, you like those types of things. Um, and having things like eggs, if you're a meat eater or if you eat eggs, um, boiling a whole heap of eggs at the beginning of the week. On a Sunday, I normally boil about six eggs and then peel them. And then they're in the fridge so that I can just literally grab an egg, grab two boiled eggs, pop some salt on and have them with them some dip or on a snack plate as well 
they're so so nutritious you know they've got choline which we really need postpartum as well as uh, they're really high in protein so you're not going to see that blood sugar drop afterwards um so yeah focusing on protein is probably the biggest thing you also really want to focus on veggie intake because vegetables are really high in fiber and we really want to make sure that our hormone metabolism postpartum is optimal and the way that will happen is with high fiber snacks so your veggie sticks and um, veggies in general are really good one to include and um, also whole grains are a really nice form of fiber so i like to focus on things that aren't going to spike your blood sugar too much so things like quinoa and um, frika those beautiful um buckwheats so you know those bakinis that you can get to snack on and things like that or again, batch make a whole heap of quinoa on a Sunday or a Monday or whenever you get an hour free. <laughs> um, and then you can just plate it up during the week and just include it in, into your snack plate. Um, and then fats is another really big one that we need to include. So we always shy away from fats, thinking that they're this bad thing, particularly postpartum, because so many women are focused on losing weight. And it's really sad that we live in that type of um, environment that promotes and encourages that but fat will actually help with your weight maintenance particularly polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats which is what we want to be focusing on so including things like avocados which are probably the most the ultimate postpartum food <laughs> they kind of even look like a pregnant woman hey so. <laughs> with the baby inside <laughs> That's so cute. I love I'm that. never going to unsee that. <laughs> <laughs> Avocados are so beautiful. And things like hemp seeds are really beautiful. And coconut, you know, coconut um, is a, quite a high fat product. So stuff like coconut yogurt and coconut milk, if you do drink um, nut milks, then coconut milk is probably a really good one to focus on because it's nice and high in fat. And it's really, really low reactivity. So, you know, people um, can react quite high to a lot of the nut milks, um, as well as some of them are quite blood sugar stabilizing, uh, destabilizing, particularly oat milk. So I do want to encourage our postpartum mums to stay away from the oat milk, unfortunately. I know it's delicious, but um, coconut milk is a really, really beautiful one. I find... Um coconut milk has less additives in it as well whereas like oat milk and almond milk it has like sunflower oil and those those oils that aren't great for your digestion and stuff like that so I mm. I was a big oat drinker and then I went over to coconut because I just found yeah less additives and I didn't feel bloated afterwards and yeah I, I love coconut milk oh good mm. yeah you're right there's so much less additives and I guess because it's naturally a milk you know like mm. the other things aren't naturally a milk <laughs> so um we have to add things like emulsifiers in because of their water base so we and especially if it's on the shelf you know you want it to be nice and creamy so it makes sense as to why it's got a lot of the things in that it has but I, I talked about this on my Instagram as well like some of them are so disgusting and could you imagine you know a lot of them are literally sunflower oil is the highest ingredient could you imagine pouring yourself a cup of sunflower oil and adding a bit of sugar in and like mixing that up and drinking it? Right. Oh, <laughs> when and you put it like that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So that leads us really nicely into our little wrap up. You, on your link tree, Amanda, you have a blog post and it is called Your Brain on Chocolate. (laughs) Me being a fiend for chocolate, I loved this blog post because it, uh, in my head, it justified my ridiculous amounts of <laughs> chocolate eating. Um, but are you able to talk to us a little bit about what that blog post is about? Yeah, of course. So um, it's called Your Brain on Chocolate and it basically goes through a bit about what is happening in your brain when you are eating chocolate. So chocolate, another really beautiful postpartum snack. I love it. But you probably want to be focusing on quality sources as opposed to some of the junk that is on the supermarket shelves and being named chocolate and if you have a really intense craving for chocolate it can often suggest that you're magnesium deficient because cacao is so high in magnesium so whenever I'm doing a consult with someone and they say you know I just can't stop eating blocks of chocolate I would always think magnesium and I would be saying you know you probably need to up your magnesium dose if you're not taking it already Um, And if you not, definitely get on a a magnesium supplement or start taking some Epsom salt fat. There's a little tip for you there in case that one's not in your toolbox. (laughs) Yeah, very cool. Yeah, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's so beautiful. So you you talked a bit before, Jazz, about taking ceremonial cacao. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful way to support yourself postpartum Mm -hmm. and support your brain. So it's, you know, it's such a powerful antioxidant. And we find after birth, you know, even if there's things like trauma there, which has kind of been floating around in the body as well as, um, you know, we now know trauma can be expressed epigenetically. So it's about clearing a lot of that out of our system with as many antioxidants as possible. And what a beautiful way to do that by drinking cacao. Mm. Yeah, I've had some really lovely meditations while drinking cacao it's a whole other yeah it's a whole other thing I I didn't know about it for a really long time and it's the purest form of cacao if you get a good one um yeah it's beautiful and you can mix in you know medicinal mushrooms and all types of different things tahini collagen yeah it's a it's a building block for an amazing drink Love Beautiful. That. I think I'm going to have to replace my Easter eggs with um, <laughs> that once I'm done with them. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. This chat has been just, it's felt very nourishing, actually. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah. And that's my goal, you know, as a naturopath, is to really empower you out there, empower women, empower men to know that it, your health is in your hands. And it's about every little small thing that you do each day will ultimately build up you. Mm. And, you know, we are our habits, we are our actions, we are what we do. And so if you can add a few little tools into that toolbox, it'll really help support your postpartum journey and just make it less of the struggle that we hear and see about all the time. So you can actually enjoy motherhood and actually really just enjoy having a baby. That's great. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. Ladies, it's been lovely. Anytime. Well, that's it for today's episode. You guys are in for some incredible chats over the next few weeks. And remember, 
If you want to share your own postpartum journey with us, or if you are a professional with some helpful advice, please reach out. Our contact details are in the show notes below. Bye for now.